<laughs> it's join, early yet. <laughs> join me as we pray together. Father, we just heard Alyssa and the worship team sing about the cross. The cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but life to those that know Jesus. And we're thankful, Lord, for what has been going on in Mount Joy. We're thankful for Dan and Barb's, Julian's work there in the interim. We look forward to Mike and Kathy as they take over uh, the responsibilities in Mount Joy. We're grateful, Lord, that you believe in the local church. We pray for this body of believers that you would grow them internally and they would be a light in the community. We're thankful for the ex-willingness to take on this responsibility. We look forward to what you're going to do in and through them. Thank you for the years of experience. We pray that this wisdom would be applied, that new people would come to Christ, that folks that have known the Lord for a long time would deepen in their relationship. We pray for just you to be evidenced and lifted up in Mount Joy. So lead, guide, and direct. May they be subservient to your spirit's leading. We look forward to what you're going to do, Lord, in this corner of Lancaster County. Thank you for what you're doing and allowing us to be part of your kingdom work. So bless the X. Be glorified through them. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you. So join me as we read scripture, book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thank you, Pastor Steve. I'm also appreciative this morning of Pastor Skip Heitzig, who preached the message on Ephesians chapter 2. And he said, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 can be summed up in four words. Those are wonder, wake, wait, and work. All W's, wonder, wake, wait, and work. At this moment, think about those words and how they reflect the life of many of Christian believers. You were wandering from God. You were woken by God. You are watching for God. And now you are working with God. 
If you are here this morning and Jesus Christ is not your personal Lord and Savior, the scriptures say that you are wandering. Now in a few moments I'm going to explain what that means, but for now you might have come into this place asking questions about God and about faith and about the Bible and about Jesus. You might have come into this place and you've said to yourself, I don't believe any of this stuff. I think all this is made up. The only reason I came is because I thought this church handed out donuts. And all I can say to you is you're a week late. I'm sorry about that. But what you will find here at Grace Community Church is that this is a church where wanderers are accepted. You can have questions about God, and this is a safe place, and that's okay. But for those of you that accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you know that you were just not wondering. At one point, God came and woke you up, and now you are seated with him. You are watching for him to come, and you are working alongside of him. Those four words describe the entire Christian life. If you're new to us this week or you just decided to tune in or you haven't been here for, your, for, your, for a few weeks, we're in the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote while he was in prison called the letter of Ephesians. It was written sometime around 60 to 61 AD. And for the past 2,000 some years, we have been thinking and studying and talking about this particular letter along with many others that the Apostle Paul wrote. The other interesting thing about this letter of Ephesians is that a few weeks ago, our pastor Mike said that the letter of Ephesians is called the Grand Canyon of the New Testament. The Grand Canyon of the New Testament. That terminology works well with Ephesians because it is so rich in terminology and it is so deep in meaning that it seems like we are trying to see the entire Grand Canyon almost at one time, but it also relates to me personally. You see, because I've never been to the Grand Canyon. I've never seen the Grand Canyon. I know very little about it. Yet I imagine if I came upon it, I would at some part be startled by it. Could you imagine you're walking through Arizona? I don't know why would do that because it's so hot. But imagine you were and you stumble upon this giant hole. And you'd be looking and thinking, well, who put this here? And how deep is it? How long does it take to walk around it? And let's see if we can go and explore it. In the same sense... That's how you feel sometimes when you look at the letter of Ephesians. How, how long is it? Who put it here? Why is it here? What, do I, what purpose does it serve for my life? In some way, you will find that the letter of Ephesians, as you study it, is rich in, in meaning and deep, very, very deep in terminology. And so to help us kind of re reset our minds on this letter, I want to review where we've been for the past few weeks. We began studying this letter in chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. Pastor Mike laid out a wonderful sermon that was, that was talking about how we are called to praise God for what he has done in our lives. Did you know that God chose you? God didn't just choose you, he adopted you, he forgave you, he redeemed you, he sealed you in his Holy Spirit. You should praise God for all that he has done. And then last week we studied the second half of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, and it's there we see that the Apostle Paul pauses from his praise and he prays. He prays. It's his praises turned into a prayer. 
Now, some of you were a little concerned last week when I said this phrase, God doesn't always answer our prayers. I pray that I didn't overwhelm you with that or get you too worked up. What I meant by that was that God doesn't always answer our prayers the way that we want him to. You see, the emphasis there is on what we want versus what God wants. And so the Apostle Paul last week prayed for what God wants believers to know. What? The hope of their calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his saints, in the incomparable great power that is found in God on display in Jesus Christ. That was the prayer of the Apostle Paul. Now this week, we hope we turn a chapter to chapter 2, where we not only see the, the praise and the prayers come to an end, but now we see the plan of God on display. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, are the plan of God, how God made us alive in Christ Jesus. You see, some of you accepted Jesus as a very young child. Others of you came to know Christ older in your life. And then while others of you just recently came to a saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And I wonder, has anyone ever explained to you how that happened? What took place? Think about this for a second. One moment in your life, you are, you are just going about life. And then suddenly, God becomes a reality. Two years ago, four years ago, 10 years ago, you hated God, and now you look at your life and you have a deep love for God. What happened? What transpired? What took place? Think about this. At one point in your life, you weren't going to church, you weren't reading the Bible, you weren't praying, you weren't serving, you weren't giving, and now you can't imagine your life without those things. What happened? What took place? place. Jesus at one point was a fairy tale to you, and now he is your Savior. Why? What happened? In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, Paul explains what happened by explaining God's plan, God's plan to make us alive in Christ Jesus, and those four words become relevant then. You were wandering. Then you were what? Woken up. And now you're watching and working with God. And so here's the question. How did Jesus, how did God take us from being wanderers to workers? How are we alive, made alive in Christ Jesus today? To answer that question, we need to first look at that first word, wander. Wonder. You were wandering from God. This is what Paul says in the first three verses of Ephesians chapter 2. You were wandering from God. Notice what he says there in verse 1. As for you, he says, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you lived when you what? Followed the ways of the world. That word there simply means that we were spiritually dead and we followed, we walked, we wandered away from God to the ways of this world. Paul says we were not running toward God, we were wandering away from God. We were walking away from God. We were following the ways of the world. What are the ways of the world? First John chapter two, verses 15 and following say that the ways of the world are the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We ran after things that we saw, we wanted things more than God, and we thought we knew better than God. And yet, yet, what does Paul say? Interestingly, we would think that was the right course. We would think that we were going in the right direction. Friends, you were tricked. You were tricked to thinking that that was living life all the while you were wandering and wandering and wandering. 
Could you imagine you're not feeling well one day? And so you go to the doctor. Now, I know some of you, that idea of going to the doctor makes you offended because you go, we don't go to the doctor. We don't trust those people. Okay, I get it, you know. But the rest of us, we, we don't feel good, so we go to the doctor. And you show up at the doctor and you sit on the table and you've got that gown that opens up in the back, you know, and you're like, what? who invented this? Uh, can we have a back on this thing too? And so you're sitting there on the table and you're saying to the doctor, yeah, I'm not really feeling well. And the doctor starts doing knock, knock, click, click, and let me just look in some things. And then he says, I know what the issue is. And you say, doc, what's the issue? He goes, well, the issue is you're dead. And you go, what? He goes, yeah, yeah, you're dead. You say, doc, well, my arm hurts, my neck hurts, my belly hurts, my leg hurts. The doctor says, no, your issue isn't physical, it's spiritual. You are spiritually dead, the doc says. Warren Wiersbe writes in his commentary in Ephesians, he says, the unbeliever is not sick, he is dead. Hear this. He does not need resuscitation, he needs resurrection. All lost sinners are dead. The only difference between one sinner and another is the state of decay. Wearsby goes on to write, this means that our world is one vast graveyard filled with people who are dead while they live. Paul does not say in verse 1, as for you, you are dead as a matter of condemnation, but a matter of observation, a matter of observation in his own personal life. The man writing this letter knows what it's like to be dead. Think about this. He too was once spiritually dead. He too, the apostle Paul, was once separated from God. He too was once unresponsive from, to God. He too was once spiritually dead to God. A spiritually dead person can't understand the things of God. Just in the same way that a corpse can't get off the examiner's table. This is why Paul writes, as for you, you were dead in what? What were we dead in? Our transgressions and sins. A transgressor is someone who has taken a false step or they failed, while a sinner is someone who misses the mark. It's an archery term to mean that you didn't hit the bullseye. In some way or another, those two words, transgressor and sins, summarize the entire life of a wandering person. John Stott, the famous theologian, says this, together the two words cover the positive and the negative, the active and the passive aspects of human wrongdoing. Stott says that this is to say our sins of commission and our sins of omission. He goes on to write, before God, we are both rebels and failures. Think about it. Without Christ in our lives, we are still sinners, disconnected from God, spiritually still searching, and yet we are wandering. And we cover it up, don't we? We think we're fine. And the way that we cover it up is we go to school and we get educated. Let me tell you something. You can go to school and you will come out a well-educated sinner. You can go and say, well, I need therapy. You can go to therapy, and you will come out a well-adjusted sinner. You can say to yourself, well, I need church. You can go to church, and you will come out religious, still wandering, still separated from God, and still dead to God. Friends, hear this this morning. It is only when people are in Christ that they will come out a saved sinner. We need to be in Christ. 
And yet Paul says we were wondering, and notice what he says in verse 3 about our wondering. He says this, all of us who lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature by nature deserving of God's wrath. It was our nature not to trust God. It was our nature not to embrace God. We were born sinners. We were not born saints. You look at that little baby, I've done it three times. It's a cute little baby. They're covered in slime, and then you'd be wiped off, and then they poop, and they pee, and they puke all over you for like 10 years until finally they can keep all the digestive stuff down. But at their core, by their nature, they have not been redeemed in Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is saying. By their nature, who taught a baby to kick and whine and fuss and to want and want and want, that is the nature that is in, that's the sinful nature, Paul says. And as sinners, we cannot, male or female, understand the things of God. The natural man cannot understand the things of God. Paul's point is that naturally-minded people are dead to the things of God. A corpse can't think or feel or smell or taste in the same way that someone who is dead to God, wandering from God, cannot feel or sing or, or, or feel or sing, yeah, there you go, or smell or taste the things of God. We need to be made alive. And the only way that we are made alive is found in Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus was ministering to many people. And there's this time where he goes to a well-educated guy, well, a well-educated man who's very religious, who's highly esteemed in society, comes to Jesus in secret, and he has a conversation with Jesus. And you know what Jesus tells him? He says, you're dead. He says, that's your issue. You need to be born again. John chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You must be born again, Jesus said. You must be born again. Not that this means that, listen, that we pass through the birth canal again. That just sounds gross, doesn't it? You know, and I'm 6'1", I wouldn't fit. But the reality is, is that spiritually, we are born again by the Spirit of God. That the Spirit of God would come upon us and take hold of us and grip us up. Do you know what a prayer was last week in Ephesians chapter 1? The Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesian church that the eyes of their heart would be opened. The eyes of their heart. Last week after the message, some of you came to me and said, the eyes of my heart this morning were opened, and I praise God for that. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. Natural man cannot open his own heart. Only the Spirit of God can do that, which is why the second part of Ephesians chapter 2, God's plan is so important. It's not that we were just wandering. It's that God at one point woke us up. How does God how does God get us from wandering to working? He wakes you up. Look at verses 4 and 5. I appreciate how the ESV translates verse 4 and 5. You don't know this. Your Bible was originally written in a different language, and you're reading a translation. And so there are different translations, and it doesn't mean that one's worse than the other, but the ESV, I think, captures the thought here a little better. Look at how the ESV says it. You were woken by God, but God, verse 4, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trans trespasses, made us alive. He made us alive with Christ by grace. You have been saved. You know that phrase, but God, is used over 45 times in your Bible. 
It's used over 45 times, but God. That phrase, that little phrase right there in verse 4, but God. It's God who made the difference. He took you from death to life. You were wandering, and he woke you up. Notice this, when Noah, when Noah was on the ark, right, and he's fluttering. I don't know if you flutter in the water. Probably not. That's, that's what ducks do. When you're floating, right, and, and he's in the ark, and he's on the water, and there's nothing around, and there's certain death that is coming, what happens? It's when we come to this place where there's certain death, we find an undeniable life-giving source in God himself. But God showed up. Genesis chapter 8, verse 1 says this. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Paul, in many of his efforts to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, never forgot but God. When he talks about how the gospel took root in people's lives, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I planted the seed, Paul writes, Apollos, who was another guy, watered it, but God, listen to this, but God has been making it grow. What about you? Has God woken you up? Has God done what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8? But God demonstrated his own love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. God has come to wake us up. This but God in verse 4, by the way, is not there so we forget the fact that we were wandering. It is there so we appreciate the fact that God came and woke us up. The but God is emphatic. It's emphatic in the sense that if we were not for God, if it was not for God, we would still be wandering. We'd still be running around, walking around, away from God. We'd still be deceived by the devil, dead in our sins and depraved, lost in darkness. But God wouldn't allow it. He woke us up from our slumber, it says. He woke us up from our sleep. He saved us. He regenerated us. We are born again in Jesus Christ. You know what it says in verse 5, that you are saved by grace? That word saved, by the way, refers to two complete actions. It refers to the fact that you, listen to this, have been saved and that you are saved. Why? Why would God want to wake you up? You know, you hear the phrase, don't wake a, a, a sleeping what? Bear. Yeah, don't wake a sleeping bear is a good one. Don't wake a sleeping bear. That's, that's a good one. There's another B I was thinking about, but you caught me off guard there. Don't wake a sleeping baby. baby. Why? Because they're going to cry. And I've experienced this personally. And yet God knows that you and I are wandering away, dead in our sins, spiritually lost. We're depraved in our minds, deceived by the devil, lost in darkness. And what does he do anyway? He shakes you, and he wakes you up, and he doesn't care that you start screaming. It's okay. He comes in, and Paul says he does this because of what? His rich mercy, his great love, and his abounding grace. Harold Honer, who I really greatly respect in his writings on the book of Ephesians, says this about God's rich mercy, great love, and abounding grace. He says, God's response to the sinner's situation is one of mercy. The motive for his kindness is his love for them, and the basis for his action is his grace. You may sitting here today, and you may not fully recall the day that God woke you up, the day that you prayed to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, the day that you accepted by faith through the grace of God, the day that you embraced salvation. You may not recall that day, and I don't think it's really that important that you do know that day. 
What I think is important and what is often reflected in the scriptures is do you know God came in that day and did something in your life? Can you sit back and say, if it wasn't for the but God, I'd still be wandering down our wayward path. You see, but God is far greater than but Paul Weitzel because I can't help myself. I need God to make me alive. A dead person can't help themselves. We need a God who will come into our lives and who will reunite our soul with his spirit and pump life into us. You know, it's interesting in Ephesians chapter 1, the prayer that Paul prays for the church in verse 19 and 20 was this, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. That's what Paul prayed. You know, God raised Jesus from the dead in the same way that God can raise you. So notice what Paul says here in verses 4 and 5. But God, what? Made us alive together with Christ. That phrase, made us alive together, is four words in your Bible. It is one word in the original language. And do you know it's a word that the Apostle Paul made up? It doesn't even exist anywhere else in literature, anywhere else in the New Testament. Made us alive together. Now that phrase, made us alive, is used nine times in the New Testament. But made us alive together is a very unique word. Why does Paul use that word? He uses that word to tell us that God was the one who came with us and woke us up. He had to make up the word. There was no other way to describe the greatness of God to come into our lives and to help us. I appreciate again how Harold Honer reflects on this, making us alive together, when he says this, the phrase, making us alive together with Christ, has reference to spiritual life and not the physical resurrection of the believer. Christ died physically, we were dead spiritually. Christ was raised physically, we were raised together with Christ spiritually. We were dead spiritually, now we are alive spiritually. If it weren't for Jesus Christ, We'd be dead. We'd be lost. And yet Jesus said time and time again to many people, and he said it very plainly in John chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will what? Live even though they what? Die. It's that spiritually we are woken up by God. We are alive in God. And so the question is, do you believe this? Has God woken you up this morning? Has God not just woken you up to get out of bed, but has he done something in your heart, in your life, to give you life? Think about this. God didn't just wake us up without a purpose. As a result of this awakening that has taken place, we are now able to watch for God. How incredible those who were dead. They didn't, they didn't want to be woken up. They didn't want God. They didn't ask for God. I remember what it was like to be a 14, 15-year-old. I wanted nothing to do with God. I wasn't thinking about God. And yet one day, God reached into my life, and he woke me up. I didn't ask for it. I didn't, I didn't think about it. He did it. And yet this is what we see. Why does he wake us up? So that we can watch for him. So that we can watch for him. Notice what he says here in verses 6 through 7. I think this is interesting. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, Paul explains that when we are made alive together with Christ, something spiritual happens, not physical. When you become a Christian, you don't suddenly get bigger muscles and a better hairline. No. When you become a Christian, something spiritual triggers in your soul. 
Your soul is now triggered. And so Paul says, you are raised with Christ. Look at this. You are raised with Christ and you are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That is something that happens spiritual. You don't see it. It is something that is happening. Do you notice that God's plan is, though? God's plan is that we were dead in our sins and our transgressions, but he woke us up and now he seats us spiritually in a place called the heavenly realms. Do you know who lives in the heavenly realms? His name is Jesus. Do you know who does not live in the heavenly realms? The devil. Notice verse 2 of chapter 2. I want to go back to this for one second. And notice what Paul writes. What's he saying? It's for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom of air. Now that's interesting. That's interesting. Satan in this verse is not in the heavens or on earth. Paul says he is in the air. But when we are born again, we are no longer on earth or in the air. We are now in the heavens with Christ, meaning we are outside the control, the boundaries of Satan. The only time he can influence us is when we stoop down to his level. When we come out of the heavens spiritually and we enter into the air, seated with Christ is our position. And sometimes as Christians, we forget that our position is not on this earth, but it is in the heavens. We are not physically in the heavens. I am physically here, but spiritually, I am seated with Christ. Now think about this. This means positionally in heaven is my new home. If heaven is my home, then I should look forward to the day when what has already spiritually happened becomes a reality physically in my life. And so are you watching for that day? Are you looking for that day? You know, sometimes as Christians, we get criticized for being too heavenly-minded that we're no what? Earthly good. That's what people say. They say you Christians ought to think more about this world. Listen, friends, I care about this world. I care about what's happening in Ukraine and northern India and what's happening in Haiti. I care about what's happening in our society, about homelessness and the, the ever issue, ever-going issue of drug addiction and alcoholism. I care about those things. Don't you care about those things? I care about the fact that in New York, we're putting crack pipes in vending machines. I care about these things. And yet as a Christian, we get criticized for being so heavenly-minded, we're no earthly good. And I would say because we're heavenly-minded, we are earthly good. Look what C.S. Lewis writes. C.S. Lewis says this, that hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. Are you thinking about the next? Are you watching for God? How did Jesus take us from being wanderers to workers? How did he change us to go from death to life? We wandered, and so he woke us up, and now we watch for what has already happened spiritually to become a reality in our lives physically. But now, what do we do? Paul says, you work. You work. You work. And some of you are going, I don't like to think about work. It's a Sunday. The reality is, is you work, but not for earthly purposes, but for a divine purpose, for a heavenly purpose. You have a new boss. You have a new CEO. You have a new leader. 
and his name is God. And you don't work for man, you work for Jesus. Notice what he says here. You are now working with God. Verse 10, I love what Paul writes. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In verse 10, Paul says to us, and he says to the Ephesians, that God does a work in you so that he can do a work through you. Notice what this says, God does a work in you. Notice how he says that. For we are created, what? We are God's handiwork, that he is going to do a work in us. You know, there's this, there's this, there's this ideology that says you have to be self-made. People like to claim that, right? I'm self-made. I'm a self-made millionaire. I'm a self-made billionaire. Words that will never come out of my mouth. But anyway, other people have said it, right? In heaven, there are no self-made Christians. Do you ever think about that? That God has done a work in your life. You are his handiwork, meaning you are his artwork on display, meaning the words. I mean, you couldn't get the words of God out of your mouth. And somehow God sat down at his desk and he wrote out a poem and put the words in your heart. It's like God sat there one day at his workbench and he saw your stone cold heart and he began to chisel away at the outside of it and he breathed life into it. You are his handiwork. His salvation, the plan of his salvation, the idea of making you alive in Christ is God's handiwork. And it's on display in you so that God can do a work, what? Through you. Through you. Think about this. That God has sent us into this world to what? Help in a broken world. Did you know that the world we live in is broken? It's hurting. There are people who need to be sent out. So I praise God that we send teams to the Dominican Republic. We send teams to Spain, that we're sending teams to Africa and Japan, and that we're sending pastors out. Praise God for this. Because the world is broken, the world is hurting, and God just doesn't want to do a work in you. He wants to do a work through you. And so praise God for his work. Praise God for how he does things in us. But it's important that we do not confuse our work with God and God's work with us. God's work with us. God did all the work in my salvation. I did not. I can't take credit for it. I can't reap a reward for it. When I get to heaven, Scripture says that I will lay my crowns at the feet of Jesus Christ. And yet, although works are excluded as a cause of salvation, they are essential fruit for it. Think about this. Good works are not optional extras. Good works are inseparable from saving faith. One scholar says this, good works are not the source, but the goal of the new relationship between humanity and God. Salvation is not by works, but for works. St. Augustine wrote this about our good works that we do for God. For grace is given not because we have done good works, but in order that we may what? Be able to do them. And so now here's the question, so what? So what? I have just outlined Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. There was a wandering, then there was a waking, then there was a watching, and now there's a working. So what? Paul would look at you and I, and he would say, so what? So what? That is the plan of God. And notice, friends, this is Paul's so what? It's a gift from God. Did you know your salvation is a gift it's a gift of God. 
Notice what he says in verses 8 and 9. So powerful, so profound. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a what? A gift of God. Your salvation is a gift. It's a gift. God, the Father, wanted us to know salvation is a gift. You wandered around, but God, rich in mercy, great in love, and abounding in grace, saved you. You know, many Americans, and I don't know why this is, but many Americans have the same mindset that they can earn their way to heaven. They feel they are a good person, and they think God should accept good people. And so in their minds, they think we have to be good, do good, think good, and say good things, and somehow God will accept us. In 2008, Luke Bryant wrote a song, and this is what the title of the song was, Most People Are Good. And he won a lot of awards for that song. And if you read that song, that's what Luke Bryant believes, that most people are good. The reality is that Jesus Christ didn't come to earth to save good people. He came to earth to save sinners. We are not good. We, we are at our core, by our nature, are away from God. God doesn't send us to hell. We choose hell because that's what we want. And yet God, in his grace, wakens us up. It was a gift. We didn't deserve it. We didn't want it. And yet many Americans sadly see salvation not as a gift from God, but as something they have to earn, something they have to embrace. And yet Jesus would turn to us and say, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. I did all the work. I bore your sins because you couldn't. I defeated Satan because you wouldn't. And I resurrected from the dead because you couldn't and you wouldn't, but I love you anyway. Do you know that he loves you? You can't earn it. And the reason why you can't earn it and the reason why it's a free gift is because we're sinners. You see, sometimes we look at the world and we say the world's broken. We don't look at our own hearts and we say that we're broken. We were sinners. As for you, you were dead. Listen, we were dead. And even if we could work our way out of our dead state, we wouldn't. Dead people don't think or feel or smell or taste the things of God until God comes and touches you, breathes on you, gives you new life, and speaks into you. And that, my friends, is a gift, an unearned, unmerited, undeserved gift. It is by grace that you have been saved. It is by grace that you have been woken up. And so here's the thing. You don't earn your salvation. You accept your salvation with an open heart and open hands from a gracious God. Amen. He loves you. And so what's your response this morning? If you are saved in Jesus Christ and you know that awakening and you've experienced in your hearts, then your response is to say thank you. But if you have been wandering, wandering around in the cravings of your flesh and the cravings of your eyes, whatever you see, you run after, and the pride of your life, and this morning somehow the Holy Spirit has humbled you to see that there is a gracious God who loves you, who sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you, then today would be the day that you embrace him. Today would be the day that you open your heart and you open your hands and you say to God, I'm here and I accept your salvation. It's a free gift. It won't cost you a thing. It costs Jesus everything. And so this morning, I wanna simply invite you to embrace that free gift, to embrace that free gift of salvation. Listen, if you're online with us, embrace this free gift with 
heads bowed and eyes closed, would you look at your life right now? Think about this for a second. Look at your life. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. Our wanderings could end today. And where would you wander into? With heads bowed and eyes closed, Jesus would say to you, please accept my free gift of salvation. I'm going to simply ask the question, because everyone's eyes are closed anyway, but if you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please raise your hand? We want to pray for you this morning. I see those hands. Thank you. Praise God. Would you pray this prayer with me? Father, I thank you for your grace, but I thank you also for your gift. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need not resuscitation, but resurrection. It's only found in Jesus Christ. So Father, thank you for saving me. Thank you for choosing me and adopting me and forgiving me of my sins. And thank you for the one day that I will see you face to face and be with you in heaven. Amen and amen. Listen, if you prayed to receive Jesus Christ today, I saw some of your hands, but I can't remember all your names. Please come find us. Let us know. We want to talk with you. We want to give you a gift, and we also want to walk alongside you. Your salvation today is not the end. It is just the beginning. And so for the rest of us with warm and grateful hearts, would you stand with us now and would you sing praises to a God who has brought us from death to life?